0: Okay. So today I've got Claire with me. Claire, thank you for joining me and agreeing to talk to me.
1: That's absolutely fine.
0: <laughs> okay, so I'm going to, to fire some questions at you and um we'll see where the conversation takes us. Um so okay, Claire, how old are you?
1: I'm 59.
0: I, is that wrong to ask a female's age? I don't know. <laughs> no,
1: no, I'm, I'm perfectly fine to discuss my age. It's not <laughs> an issue for me at all.
0: Perfect. Okay can I ask what type of um, cleft you were born with?
1: So I have a unilateral cleft lip but -hmm. I also have a partial cleft running right through the gum and partially onto my palate so I don't have a full cleft palate but obviously I've had an awful lot of dentistry and bridge work and you know heroic sort of dental work done like most of us absolutely
0: I think. absolutely so um kind of starting with that then um although you didn't have a full cleft palate um did you have any feeding issues that you know of when you're growing up or as a baby i think
1: i think i did um, mm. i think we all sort of internalize a script that we've been given from our parents don't we absolutely. about what it was like when we were born and my script it's it's ingrained in my mind now bear in mind i'm a psychiatrist so clearly some of these things are (laughs) setting off connections in my head but if i just briefly tell you the script the script Mm. is that my mum and dad um had a very beautiful son who was 11 months old when i was born now he was blonde with brown eyes um, very lovely a very lovely looking boy and yeah. a lot of people would stop and comment on how lovely he was and in i we're talking about 1960 when i was born so the world has changed enormously yeah. but the script involves things like people looking at him sitting on the pram looked in at me and then said things like oh dear Yeah, and I was actually told that as a child and it really was quite wounding the other script was that my mum didn't actually expect me She I think I was a mistake because I'm only 11 months younger than my brother and um, She went into a rather posh nursing home to give birth and as soon as they saw me they whisked me off to the local hospital. And I didn't just have a cleft, I also had uh, the the signs of being a rhesus baby because I'm rhesus positive, my mum was rhesus negative. So I was probably very jaundiced and horrible looking. But but the thing that my mum remembered is, having bought a lot of rather lovely, glamorous, negligee type things for the the nursing home, (laughs) and then being in an inner city hospital, which she hadn't expected to go no, to of and feeling very traumatized. And, you know, to be serious, actually, this is before prenatal screening. We're talking about a lower middle-class Catholic family where you get what you get and nobody yeah. would have considered anything other. However, the family had no experience whatsoever of a cleft lip. They didn't know what to call it. They didn't know what it was. Right. She was severely traumatized, I think. Yeah. And then, As I look back now, looking back with the wisdom of all my 59 years, (laughs) uh, I actually realized they didn't revisit the script very much with me about what it actually was. So when I was about 11, I had no narrative that I could explain to people who asked me because I didn't understand what a cleft lip was caused by, what it was. Um, And I would... Oh, I've just so urged parents to keep revisiting that narrative. I think when you've been born with something, whatever that something is, and you've been brought up with it, it's as though the assumption is that you kind of get it. You yeah. know what it's all about because you've met the doctors and the dentists and whatever. And you've been given this sort of four-year-old script as to what it was. But it needs revising depending on your level of development. I, um, I, I, I really do feel that now because I remember being bullied a bit in junior school but it was called teasing then and people yeah. never really took it seriously and I remember um, children asking about it and I didn't really know what to say okay. um, and I, I mean fortunately there were other things that I was okay at <laughs> Mm-hmm. and you know i remember being teased for the cleft lip and then somebody in the group around me a big group of girls mm. said oh she can sing and then they asked me to sing a, a pop song that was famous at the time yeah um, and i sang it and then they clapped and they said no. "Oh and then, and then i wasn't the girl with the cleft lip anymore i was the girl that could sing how but interesting of course, is that but people but people didn't call it cleft lip then they called it hair lip didn't they I was just and about I,
0: to say was, yeah. was the yeah. old terminology that I'm aware of is that yes. it's called a hair lip and I actually That's don't know right. what the
1: difference is or whether any there okay. isn't any, but I think hair lip is quite it's it's a little bit like the word club thought, isn't it? It's it's a descriptive term, but it's horrible. Absolutely. And, it, and there's such a lot more to people than what their lip looks like. The only thing I'm really grateful for is that I wasn't born in the era of social media. Because I do think that young girls are now brought up to be so focused on their physical appearance. And to give my parents their due, <laughs> they were loving parents. And when they kind of got their head around it all, hmm. they, they actually made sure that I did other things like speech, drama, singing. Yeah. Um, I was very academic at school. And so what I looked like was just never an issue. Never an right. issue. Which is,
0: which is great. And it's, it's almost that sort of... Which way do you go? Do you talk about it openly and that almost becomes a focus, or do you, do you just accept that that's just the way that somebody looks and they possibly, as they grow, as you say, kind of get a little bit lost as to what actually has happened or what yes. is or what do they say to people?
1: Yes, it wasn't a taboo subject. I don't think okay. it was more that my father never really talked about anything emotional, even okay. though he was a lovely man. An and old, how on earth stoic, a kind of man. I have no idea. Right. Okay. <laughs> there couldn't be anything more opposite, really. Um, um, he was a rugby-playing, sort of, you know, plain-speaking, lovely guy who'd give yeah. me a hug but wouldn't say anything. Yeah, Whereas know. Whereas my mum and I were very close. But I don't even think she knew the answers to the questions. Remember, this is before the internet. And she wasn't particularly educated. Um, You know, nowadays, people would be Googling the heck out of this, wouldn't they? Absolutely. Whereas at that time, all she had was what doctors had told her or dentists had told her. And I think that there was a guilt issue in that I think she took some medication when she was pregnant and may have been told that that was the reason I had the cleft. Right. She she was obviously pregnant and had a young baby because my brother's eleven months older than me. Of course. And she must have been shattered. And I think she might have been given something like a wow. benzodiazepine, you know, yeah. like dance something like that. Yeah. And I think she had carried a sort of guilt. Of course, all mothers have guilt, don't they? Absolutely. If, if if a child falls over, you know it's your fault, you know. <laughs> Whatever's happened absolutely Um, but but I think to be more serious I do think she did blame herself and there was no real we didn't know anyone else with a cleft we didn't there was nobody else at my school Um, I do remember I mean this came back to me after I had had contact with you a young man who was a couple of years older than me um, suddenly appeared in our life and was offering me driving lessons so I must have been you know I must have been that sort of age okay and he had a cleft and I kind of remember thinking, how did this happen? And what would it be like to go out with somebody with a cleft? And yeah. um, it just, he gave me some driving lessons. I was terrible at it. <laughs> he disappeared. <laughs> but I do remember thinking, what would it be like to have a partner with a cleft? Yeah. Does it matter? How do I feel about it? What would it look like if both of you had a cleft? would you, If you had children, would they inevitably, you know, all those questions came up really. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I, don't, I don't know what happened to him, but oh. <laughs> over, over my, over my um, life, though, I have met other people with clefts. Okay. And I remember as a medical student, I was doing, um, I was doing, I think it was old age psychiatry at the time. Okay. And I remember there was a bit of a battle axe of a nurse. She was really strict and people really didn't get on with her and she was lovely to me and I couldn't work out why because I didn't know her she didn't know me okay she took me to one side one day and she said her daughter had just had a baby with a cleft oh, and so there was that baby. sort of association with you she obviously thought here's a kind of moderately well-adjusted person with a cleft I think her daughter i think at the time her daughter wasn't taking the baby out in the pram and was really worried about what people would say or think and she basically just got me to talk to her daughter and her daughter's oh, father. that's amazing um, but but the funny bit was the bit where people said she's horrible to everybody why is she i, said, well, I have no idea because the no. nurse herself didn't have a cleft but the, obviously her grandchild did. there was a,
0: there was that connection there that yeah. you know she yeah. she felt to you which yeah. is
1: Yes. Which was good for you, obviously. (laughs) Yes. Well, I mean, it's not something that, you know, I particularly thought about very much. um, But when drawn to my attention that there was somebody that I could talk to that it might make a difference. I think that I think also just to think back to the generation ahead of of me, Mm -hmm. which is obviously a lot older than you. Mm -hmm. A lot of people seem to associate cleft lip with some sort of mental insufficiency or learning disability. And there was a TV programme on, I think it was in the 70s, and it was a dramatisation of a novel called Precious Bane. And I remember that the the lead character in it had a cleft lip. And the actress, Janet McTeer, played this character, and she doesn't have a cleft lip. But they kind of done some sort of wiring and gluing to make her look like she had. Mm -hmm. And I do remember thinking, what's this about? Why is a cleft portrayed in that way?
0: Yeah
1: also you know there are horror movies and things where people with clefts are evil and that some of these tropes are quite damaging yeah you know absolutely. there aren't that many positive images out there are there are people with clefts achieving great things or absolutely know, and that's doing of, <laughs> you know
0: that's kind of why i wanted to speak to people like you because actually you're very successful in, in your career. Um, you know, and and I feel like there needs to be more positive role models out there for um a parents that have just had the diagnosis in pregnancy so they know that their child is actually going to achieve anything and everything that they want to. Um, and also for teenagers that are that might be going through that difficult spot that kind of feel like they're a little bit lost.
1: Yes. Well I mean that's very nice of you to say that. I think I've been very fortunate I mean, I went to university from a family where nobody had ever been to university, but in an era where there were grants and in an era where if your parents couldn't afford all of the support you needed, they you know, there, there was some support for you. In the era of student loans, I don't imagine I would have gone to university at all. Right. And my husband that I met at medical school is exactly from the same sort of background. He's from a family of bakers and postmen and nobody'd been to university. Right. And we were really lucky. I went in 1978, yeah. but I was born in Liverpool and Liverpool was a very depressed place in 78, a lot of unemployment. Um, and I went from a convent school in Liverpool Eight to Edinburgh Medical School which was oh, okay. light years away socially and yep. of course I am a bit scouse, I'm a, it's flattened a bit <laughs> but I do remember having quite a lot of um, people comment on the fact that I was from Liverpool and okay. Liverpool was getting a press in the media at that time and um, I think being Liverpoolian was probably more of an issue for me than having a cleft because nobody ever even mentioned that.
0: That's amazing. Um, so, can we go back a little bit, actually? Because yes, um, obviously, you know, spoke about mum and dad and, and your brother. Um, how was I? Don't was it called junior school back then? Primary school. How was that for you?
1: Primary school. Well, it, yes. Um, I, I was in a class of forty four. Wow. And I, was the top, I was the top of the class, so it wasn't. You know. It wasn't really. I remember my mum saying to me, "You're a big fish in a small pond, and when you go to grammar school, don't expect to be top of the class." <laughs> um, but but I did, you know, I I did well academically. I did sing. I did I did take lead roles in school plays, that sort of thing. When I went to grammar school, I was probably in the top three in the class all the time. And we, it was a oh, sort Jesus. of place where you did class places. And I did very well on my O levels and A levels. And, thank you know, I'm not blurring my own trumpet. I'm just saying that's how it was. But thank God there was something. So people would say, oh, Claire, she's the one that was in the Can play. Oh, Claire Can is you. the one who sang the yeah. solo. Not Claire's the girl with the slightly weird the and Yeah, exactly. And, and it was never mentioned at secondary school at all. Really? And I've just spent the weekend with my dearest old friends and the seven of us, plus all the husbands and children and grandchildren now. <laughs> and it, it's never, ever, ever been an issue for anybody. Nobody's even... And I actually said to my, one of my friends, she's a doctor as well, I said to her, you know, I'm talking to, to, to you, Jen. And she said, you know, I never even notice it.
0: And, and actually that's the same response I get from most of my friends and you know it's only when it's brought up in conversation that you have a discussion about it but actually you're just known as Claire or you're just known as Jen and it's when you get to a certain point you realize actually there's far bigger things
1: going on in the world than well totally and I guess as a a train training as a doctor and a psychiatrist it's never about you it's about the patient and the patient comes first and so you Know whatever the I, yeah, I've had people be incredibly horrible and rude to me, but never about my cleft, actually. Really, okay, Email or whatever, because I used to work with sex offenders and murderers yeah. and whatever that was my job. Um, so I've had people say terrible things to me, but never about my cleft at all, ever. Because
0: uh, that's so refreshing because you know, mm. kind of you, you've already touched on the fact that we're now the you know, social mm. media generation, and I kind of only yeah. joined that. Uh, you know, MSN was kind of the thing when I was growing up, so yes. kind of like instant chat, um, and obviously yeah. now more so we're on Instagram and things like that. Um, and actually, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that your cleft wasn't a focus. I think when I was growing up, cleft was a focus for me and not necessarily everybody else at certain times. Um, but it's, I, you know, I feel like now people, like you say, are already concerned about their appearance. From a very early age, yes. she nine, ten years
1: old because of
0: how it was yes. presented on
1: the I TV think that's and true and, and you know I'm not saying I wasn't interested. I was really interested in fashion and makeup, and my mother mm. worked in fashion, and she was quite a glamorous person, and she would take me out and you know get makeup and things for me and with me and she was one of the, one of the few mums that out of you know my group of friends that yeah. would allow makeup. And she, she allowed me to have my hair however I wanted it. And I do remember in the 1970s having some fairly disastrous hairstyles, but quite adventurous for <laughs> <at> the time. <laughs> and she she wouldn't mind going into boutiques with me. And which is amazing, them, isn't it? She was great. And even you know with my with my children, she, I remember one of my one of my children wanted a chain. It was when things were a bit punk, and she went into a <laughs> punk shop you know typical granny lady yeah in a of course she actually just made friends with the people in the shop and thought they were what great a what this chain. <laughs> so she was she was a bit of a fashionista and quite confident about going. um which is, which is also lovely when you you know when
0: you have something that you're potentially quite conscious of but actually somebody's encouraging you to a be social b make the most of how you look yes. but yes. don't worry about other people yes you know, per, you know, uh, perceiving.
1: Yes, yes. I think you know. While people are looking at your cleft, if you've got something more useful to say or do, just distract them with that. Really. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I, the, the only thing I would say for me is that I always notice people's teeth and noses. Always. Yeah. And I have dentist friends who describe people by their teeth, which I always think is funny. (laughs) Um, I remember them saying, do you know Susie? And I said, I don't think I do. Susie with the pedlaterals, And I'm like, what's that? But I can tell you everybody's teeth and smile, what they look like, because that matters to me. Whereas my husband had a bit of a squint and he looks at people's eyes. I think it's just (laughs) what you do, isn't it? Absolutely, um, but, but, but I've always felt it very important just to try and make people comfortable and smile and be who you are and just don't worry because actually most people are really upset and worried about their own stuff they're not really thinking about you yeah uh, nice. particularly in my line of work you know
0: yeah so tell me me more i am am absolutely if anybody follows me on instagram they'll know that often i'm saying right i'm just off to watch a murder documentary i'm just off to watch this because i'm fascinated by the way that people think and actually that's possibly why i'm kind of doing these sorts of things because you know I i find people's mentality really interesting so you went to medical school in glasgow edinburgh Edinburgh sorry sorry Scottish people <laughs> um, and obviously that's where you met your husband but what did so you did general ta- talk so me through sort of education.
1: At the time that I went to medical school what you would do is you do your A-levels you start medical school and it would be six years okay. and the first couple of years was pretty much academic but they just started a new course where we did get to meet patients from the first week which was marvellous okay. to me so um you know i really enjoyed that um i liked everything i did at medical school but i think i did medicine because i did want to be a psychiatrist okay um, so after medical school when i graduated i specialized in psychiatry um i had won the psychiatry prize at medical school and i had won the prize for being the best female graduate which was oh, wow. very okay um class of about 150 at the time but only about a third of them were women Um, nowadays there are more women than men at medical school Um, so i kind of i had a wobbly start at medical school i think i don't think i knew how to study properly my school was the sort of school where they spoon fed you things and said learn that and regurgitate medical school wasn't like that so I did struggle in my first year but once I got the hang of it I kind of Mm -hmm. flew and psychiatry was the thing I I loved the most so after training in psychiatry and doing my professional exams which Mm -hmm. is the membership of the Royal College of Psychiatrists um, I did some research and I was working on a research project in Cambridge to do with Alzheimer's and other sorts of dementia.
0: Okay.
1: And I needed to choose some clinical work to balance the week up. And the thing i would not done in Edinburgh was forensic psychiatry. Okay. And I met a very charismatic and very lovely forensic psychiatrist okay. who was starting to develop a service in that area because there wasn't one at the time. And As soon as I worked with him, I realized that's what I wanted to do. He was working with prisoners. He was working with offenders. He was working with people in the community who had years ago done dreadful things, but were Mm -hmm. being rehabilitated. Um, We used to go to secure services all over the country to see patients. He was utterly respectful of everybody. He was great. Um, So I probably would have been headed into old age psychiatry had I not met him. So I then applied for higher training in forensic psychiatry mm-hmm. and I went to the Maudsley in London to do that. And as part of that training, I was sent to Broadmoor as well. Um, and when I was there, I ran a group for a year for men who'd kill their partners. Um, and also while I was there, I did quite a bit of psychotherapy and had the privilege of working, um, alongside the Royal Shakespeare company who came into the, the hospital to do, Plays for the patients, oh, okay. and then we have workshops afterwards. One of the psychiatrists at Broadmoor, more, Murray um, Cox, was very, very influential, and had great friendships with people like Mark Rylance and uh, Brian Cox, and had them come in with the company to to act. Um, you know, and the patients would then have a workshop afterwards, and it was a really inspirational thing. So when I'd when I'd done that training, mm. I. Uh, we moved up north, so I finished my training in Manchester because we're a two-medic marriage, and one of the things you end up doing is you take turns to move house while okay. the other person gets a nice job or whatever. <laughs> I finished my training in Manchester, um, and by then we had a son, and then I became a consultant in 1995, and I worked in a service that was just getting off the ground with a new secure unit, um, And I suppose throughout my career, I've done quite a lot of commissioning new services, building a team, you know, getting a service ethos together and so on. And I've really enjoyed that. I worked in Stafford, um, served the um, West Midlands area. Then I went to Birmingham for five years, then back to Stafford. And when I came back to Stafford, I ended up as medical director of the trust. So I was working clinically, But I was also working on the board and managing, really. And in the in the middle of that, I did an MSC, and we adopted a little girl. Of course, you (laughs) Um, did. Absolutely. My my MSC was on stalking, which is something (gasps) I did. Wow. Uh, I also trained in lean methodologies, which is a sort of management ethos that they use at places like Toyota and Bentley and places like that. Um, and just took every opportunity that came I worked for the parole board for 11 years um, and I did that alongside my work I also then worked for the general medical council sitting on fitness to practice panels Um, and uh, I did that latterly just before I retired fully in March of this year and I also did the exams for the foreign doctors which are called the PLAB exams so, I've been busy. You've done a few <laughs> different things, don't you? Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm also, at the moment, I'm in my fifth module of an English literature degree at, with the Open University, which I started before I retired. So, uh, okay. life's, got lot, <laughs> life's got a lot quieter <laughs> for me. I'm currently bringing up a two-year-old grandchild, studying for this English degree, um, and just sort of enjoying life a bit more, really. Well, you
0: um, sound absolutely amazing and i'm just i wish i had an element of of what you're doing like what you've done you're doing it's amazing
1: when you say that i feel i feel what most people feel which is that imposter syndrome thing (laughs) that my career when i look back at it looks as though it was planned yeah it wasn't we kind of staggered from one opportunity to the other and there were various moments where i thought i'll never get that next job or you know, my husband, what was he going to do or where were we going to live and how were we going to manage this or that or the next Yeah, thing? from
0: this side of things, you go, yeah, done this, done this, done this, done <laughs> this, done this and it's all with a big tick next to it it just sounds absolutely amazing if, if you
1: write a cv you make it sound like a planned journey uh-huh. not lurching from one thing absolutely. to another Absolutely,
0: don't um, mention the word lurch and you should be all right <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, but it's been hugely enjoyable anyway i mean it's been a very rewarding career and absolutely um, you know working with families and working with people who are kind of I don't really know how to explain it, but people who society doesn't value, who yeah. may be very marginalized, very needy, very physically unwell, often as well as mentally unwell, yeah. um, and people that really need help and support. Um, I haven't just worked with perpetrators, though, so I have worked with victims as well. Right. Um, but you know, I, I think you do need to sort of see both sides of it. Yeah. Um, and I usually would find something. That I could relate to in a person, even if what they had done was really shocking to me. Of course, um, but you know, that, did... that
0: just kind of shows your nature and the fact that you were born with a condition that made you different in, a, you know, quotation marks different to other people? But actually, that hasn't impacted on how you
1: you view other people because no, being no, i mean I can't... A... Go One mm. sorry. I was just going to say, I don't actually, I I suppose this is something, Jen, I do struggle a bit with this identity where Mm. people are saying they're proud of their cleft or they are cleft strong or whatever. I don't really subscribe to that myself because I don't feel that it's hugely important. I kind of have joined various websites and things, not because I think I really need that, but because I think if I can at any point, say anything that would help anybody that's fine by me but I don't feel that I was ever in any interaction with a patient aware of my cleft I can't think it ever came into my mind I was too busy thinking you know what do they mean by that what can I do to unlock this situation or how can we support them whatever I don't remember ever thinking are they looking at my face and thinking that my cleft is odd or something I never remember really? thinking well in a way it's a bit like asking a dentist if they're worried about their hair color you're too busy doing what you're doing to be thinking (laughs) about anything other than what you're doing aren't you Um, absolutely
0: and I think an element that is possibly in the role that you were in um, having been on the other side of it where you know I've been you know a healthcare assistant for example you know, the focus for me was kind of more that, are they looking at me thinking, you know, what are they thinking? Right. But actually, if I, I think if I was in a nursing role, I'd be thinking, well, actually, you know, I'm the one helping you. I, I don't know if that I, kind of makes sense to people. It if- might be.
1: And, and you know, I, I didn't work in fashion or in beauty or makeup or any of those. If I worked in those sorts of things, or if I was, a, you know, a creative or whatever, maybe I would have been made more aware of my cleft, but I wasn't Claire with the cleft. I was, you know, Claire, like Claire. psychiatrist or Claire, yeah, absolutely, yeah, Doctor yeah, Claire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it was a high status role yes. where actually, what you know, obviously, you don't want to make, you know, you don't want you don't want to exaggerate that. You want to get alongside people, but it isn't a role where people would have. Um, it's not the first thing they know about you. You know, it's not. A, it's not the yeah. first thing they say things like oh you know the boss is coming or you know whatever yeah. or the directors are coming or the consultants here, but, but they don't necessarily see you as having vulnerabilities or frailties because they also need to believe in you and that you can help them um, I don't mean just me I mean the team around me yeah, you know, absolutely. yeah. but yeah. but you have to kind of inspire that in people and you have to instill that trust and if you're focused on whether you look all right or not you kind mm-hmm. of I do. I do remember. I always would wear fairly formal clothing at work because you might end up in court. You know, yep. on a day you didn't expect, and okay. you had to give evidence at tribunals. And I do remember a patient saying to me that they thought I was always very smart. Uh-huh. And I, I remember thinking, well, that's that's really nice. And they said it shows that you respect us as patients that you would dress smartly. That's um, nice. Um, and, and I thought, that's nice. And there was a big debate at the time about what doctors wear at work. Okay. And, um, you know, a lot of psychiatrists would dress very much down as a way mm-hmm. of being equal, which, which yep. is a nice idea. But patients want you to give them advice and support. They don't want to, you know, you're not telling them how to live their life or anything, but they want you to be something yep. that isn't a mate that they would go down the pub with. So, yep. Actually, marking that in a little way, in a form, because you might be in a prison, you might be in a secure unit, you know, and they need. I think people need to know that you respect them, and that was one thing you could do, as well mm-hmm. as shaking hands and those sorts of things, you know. Yeah. And actually, treating people decently. Um, when I, I started,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. When I started in forensic psychiatry, people weren't always treated terribly well at all. Okay. And I'd turn up at the prison and I'd say, "I'm here to see Mr. Smith," and they'd say, "Don't call him Mister." And I thought, well, okay. <laughs> that's, that makes me very uncomfortable. And I just carried on the way I'd been taught, called people.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's possibly where then the, um, you know, that, that connection obviously came through with somebody that has done, you know, potentially awful things that, you know, you're actually making yourself equal with them no matter what they've done.
1: Yes. Well, we're, it, the humanity thing's important. They're kind of big themes in the nature of work I was doing. Mm. You know, lo- loss death violence children dying you know people becoming well from an illness in which they may have behaved appallingly and then realizing what they've done which is I can't imagine what that's like
0: and, I, and um, I can't imagine doing that work because it's just, again, you know, it's fascinating to me. And, and thankfully, we do have people like you that are prepared to take on that role, shall we say. Um,
1: well, it's just it is a team effort. But I think I think Jenny antidote to it is I have been married to the same guy for 36 years. <laughs> We've been the whole for years. My home life is very, very stable. I had yeah. a lovely upbringing. My mum and dad were really lovely. Um, I think if you've had a difficult childhood, it's very hard as an adult to deal with that. If you've had a great childhood, even if really bad stuff's happened to you as an adult, and some bad stuff has happened to me as an adult, um, you actually have the resources to deal with that because it's I really here to you as a child that makes the difference, in my mind anyway. Oh,
0: I am 100% with that.
1: Yeah. And I think if you have a job, like being a nurse or a policeman or a firefighter or whatever it is where work can be very stressful Mm -hmm. you don't want to be going home to a stressful home Mm
0: -hmm. and you
1: don't want to have conflicted relationships because you can't deal with that amount of chaos in your life at the same time
0: so so you
1: know the stability of home has been very important to me
0: Um, and I think that is relevant kind of going back to the whole sort of cleft situation I think you know if you've got a stable family that's either opens communication about the condition or just says, you know, this is just Jen and that's how she is. I mm-hmm. think that gives you a foundation as you're growing up to kind of go, well, this is who I am. Yes, I know what it is. Or, you know, yes. want to talk more about it, but I think that sort of wholeness at home is such an important sort of thing yes. that's a single parent family or you know two parents
1: whatever the whatever that setup is, pays, isn't it I do you've just triggered a memory in my mind now when I first met my husband at medical school we fell madly in love and I remember he told his parents and I remember I met his mom she's okay. long since dead but I remember okay. meeting his mom and the one thing she said to him when I wasn't there was if you have children will they have a cleft lip Wow. Okay. And I remember feeling really quite shocked by that, and thinking, "Is that all she could see?" And
0: and was that Uh, her focus? It wasn't the fact that her son was happy. It was what was going to be the outcome.
1: And I think you know she was a nice woman. There was no issue. Mm. She she thought it was a legitimate question to ask him. Right. Okay. Um, And I suppose um, I think it's a long time ago now. Mm. I would think it's probably, you know. Nearly forty years ago now, but I do I remember that quite well. But I do remember saying to my husband, "I don't think it's the sort of thing that's that's going to be, you know, affecting children that we might have. But if it did, well, at least I have the experience to know how to help. And Um, anyway, does it matter? Does it matter? Absolutely. And 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 we talked a bit about you know her, I suppose her focus on looks Mm -hmm. um, again. Um, I guess she was the same generation as my parents, and you know boys were doers and clever, and girls were somewhat decorative. And actually, that my husband and I are both feminists. My kids are feminists. <laughs> they would say, you know, they would say that they believe men and women can do whatever they like.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: you know, and actually, they're very different values from the values that our, our families had. You know, when yeah. we were growing up. So um, when,
0: when obviously you and your husband had that conversation, was that not an issue as such but was that something that you were concerned about or was he not bothered
1: okay no he and I had no doubts whatsoever and we had no concerns about that um I mean as it happened we had a journey of infertility that went on for nine years and we had a lot of ideas And you know it didn't all go great but I'm going Mm. to sort of skate over that but but we do have we do have a son who was born to us who's now 26 and he's a professional singer, wow. and our, we adopted our daughter when our son was four, okay. and she was nearly one then. Oh. Um, so she's twenty-four now. Um, but
0: uh, amazing, you know. So um, can I ask that your, your son wasn't cleft affected? There was no, no. Uh, nothing no. that that showed from no, that. No, no. Okay.
1: No, no, I mean he had much bigger issues in that he was extremely premature. He was born okay. fifteen <sighs> weeks early, and wow. he was only one pound nine. Oh, um, so I was only 25 weeks pregnant when he was born, and his okay. survival was obviously in some doubt. Okay. And I remember when he went to school, they had to do something about you know when I was born, what I weighed, and okay. they took him to one side and said, "I think you've got this wrong." I don't <laughs> think you could not be one pound nine, and he said, "No, oh, I was, I was honestly, I was." But oh. he's, he's now, to all intents and purposes, perfectly healthy, and we started him singing because he was premature and his lungs needed to be developed, and he's now a professional based baritone. Wow.
0: Wow, that's an interesting sort
1: of way yeah. to go about it, actually. Well, I treated him as perfectly normal from day one and basically said, we're going to do everything together. I don't, you know, I don't believe that there's any anything going to go wrong with this child. If it does, it does. But I'm going to go out and about. And he was in hospital four months, but when I got right. him out of hospital, um, he was only three pounds something in weight. Wow. And I used to take him around in an African baby sling, and I remember somebody asking me if I'd broken my arm, couldn't see <gasps> the baby. And I said, no, know this baby in here. Oh, wow. Um, and I used to take him to galleries and places and just everywhere with me. And, um, you know, he, instead of being, I was told he might be blind and probably wouldn't okay. walk. Okay. And he was tap dancing and singing (laughs) and acting. and You know, he did very well at school. He did very well at university. You know, he's a joy, really. Amazing. Uh, But I think treating, I would say the only transferable thing is Mm -hmm. I treated him as somebody with the utmost potential from day one. And I wasn't going to let anyone tell me he didn't have. And there's a lot of research evidence now that children who are as premature as him yep. do an awful lot better if their mothers believe that they have potential. Oh,
0: okay, That's
1: and, and I didn't know that at the time. I just basically was like a warrior mother with him, you know. And, um, you know, people would look at him and he looked very little. And even going to school at four, he was still half the size of the other kids. Um, and people would look at him and say, oh, you know. Um, but he's absolutely fine now
0: and amazing. you know he's
1: he's done some great things and he's a really wonderful person and, he's and although and,
0: obviously he doesn't have a cleft which you know to some extent is obviously great um but actually the skills that you've taken from your own experiences and possibly how your mother was with you you know you've been able to pass that on and and uh, kind of push him forwards as well
1: yeah, well I hope with both my children um my my daughter is um unusually beautiful she has spanish blood and at school people would talk to her in spanish because she went to the sort of school where there were spanish children okay yeah and um she um looks a bit like penelope cruz oh um and she has the most beautiful (laughs) lips she's very lovely um but i remember saying to her don't trade on your looks ever be interesting, have something to say. Yeah. One day, if all you have is the fact that you're very beautiful because you are really beautiful, but if that's all you've got, one day you'll wake up and you won't be beautiful anymore and there won't be anything else about you. To talk And about. actually work on everything else. My, my father had a friend who was a very beautiful person in her younger years. Okay. And she relied on that beauty to get by in life. And when she got to about 40... She was still, I thought, stunning, but yeah. she didn't feel beautiful anymore. And it's as though her life fell apart because being beautiful was the thing she was best at. So I've always oh, warned gosh. my daughter to not, to, I've always said, you really are beautiful. And because people would stop us in the street, she really is lovely. Um, however, do not ever rely on that. No. Make, the, make it something that's just the, not the most important thing about you.
0: I love that, and that's that's almost again because obviously where I'm coming from is you know sort of cleft orientated. Yes. That's something to project to your children. It works it, both are, ways, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's that's kind of where yeah. I was going with it. And yeah. You know, maybe I've tried
1: a lot harder with people because of my cleft. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but whenever I saw my daughter not trying hard enough with people, I always spoke to her about it. She, I think, for example if you are very beautiful making friends is very easy but if yeah. you don't have the skill to keep friends that's a terrible sadness in life isn't it I and agree. actually i think if people keep friends and work at friendship and work at relationships that's fantastic um a couple of times in her life when i saw her really treating people not badly but taking them really for granted yeah. i did say to her look you know you do attract friends very easily but it's let's think about how you keep a friendship for years and years and years, the way that her dad and I have and the way that my parents have friends that went back to like, they were tiny. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it, it's this isn't about my daughter, but oh. it's very much the same sort of message all the way through for me. Uh, it's about whether you're beautiful or whatever you think about yourself. Mm. It isn't ever the most important thing about you unless you're a model or something, you know, oh, you know. Um, <laughs> No, you know. in a very general
0: <laughs> sense, you know, you yeah, have your foundations, was, but yeah, you know, yeah. you can be so much more, you know, than just that.
1: Yes. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being beautiful. Really, there isn't. No. Um, but if it's all you've got, it's a bit sad. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've asked my children about my cleft and they honestly just say, well, you're just mum. We just see you. That's you. We don't think of it. Don't question it. Don't think about it. No, no. all. not at all. Not in a negative way anyway. Um, No, not not at all. Um, I mean, the only time it's cropped up is I recently had a little bit of dentistry not related to my cleft, but it brought up a bit of a fear for me Mm -hmm. about what would happen if my extensive bridge work were ever to fall out because Mm -hmm. it would be disastrous for me. It really would. Um, And this bridge work's been here a long time and it probably is due to fall apart at some point. And I remember saying to my children, you know, this having to have a dental implant somewhere else in my mouth, it just shows me how old I'm getting and how my dentistry is getting, you know, some of it's going to need redoing and that will be a, big big thing for me wow
0: okay
1: but i've had a bridge since i was 19 and it's the same bridge and i'm nearly 60 and you know it's a fantastic piece of dental work yeah and it meant i didn't have to have a a partial denture i grew up having a partial denture stuck on the roof of my mouth and i can remember at medical school before i got this i remember standing in a group of people who were laughing about something Mm. i threw my head back and laughed and this thing shut out
0: Oh <laughs> and no! I ended up
1: in the, on the floor in the middle of the circle <laughs> and I, I, I got down on the floor so quickly and picked <laughs> it up and ran up to the ladies and later people said they'd not noticed anything but they were just oh, being very kind oh, Remember, being thinking oh god you know I don't want this to happen so having a bridge is great because yeah. there's nothing that can just fly out But a partial denture for a teenager who's dating and things is horrible.
0: Um, Yeah, that's kind of adding another
1: sort of fuel to the fire, really, isn't it? (laughs) So I had this when I was about 19. um, Okay. And have you had any
0: other surgeries? i uh,
1: kind of by the of that
0: because I'm too fascinated about your work. But um, talk to me about (laughs) surgeries and things. Well,
1: I I don't really know how many I had as a child. I know I was in hospital when I was about four, when I was about seven. A little bit later, there was quite a bit of dental work. And then I think that I've got some sort of slightly aberrant nerves in my mouth because I remember having some dental treatment and being told it would all be numb.
0: And it wasn't
1: because there was a branch of a nerve going somewhere it shouldn't. So that's one small thing. And then I had extra wisdom teeth at the back, which may be completely unrelated. And that all had to come out. But I do remember having to have that done under a general anaesthetic. And they pulled and stretched my mouth so much it split either side, which terrified me with a cleft as well. Um, So I probably would have been about... 19 when that happened, I had my nose done again
0: okay. when I was
1: about 19 uh, And it wasn't hugely successful in my opinion. I don't think okay. it's any better than it ever was mm-hmm. um, I've had nothing since then okay. and, You know, I'm, I'm very interested on the cleft sites that people are saying they're continuing to have work done I mean, obviously if you've got a cleft palate, there may be continuing needs there may be you know other things going on but yeah. basically, I've had nothing since I was 19 or 20. Um, and I've never been under the care of a cleft team ever.
0: Right, okay, that's interesting. You know,
1: we saw an orthodontist in Liverpool when I was young.
0: Mm-hmm. It was the
1: same guy pretty much throughout my whole childhood. Yeah. Um, and he worked at the dental hospital. But there was no holistic sort of team approach. I remember I had my hearing tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have an issue with hearing and no. uh, I didn't need to see a speech therapist or anything so maybe I just didn't need the, the members of the team that there might have been around but I don't think cleft teams were there in the 60s
0: no um, and actually I don't know when the multidisciplinary team um, kind of started because now um, having had the experience myself and obviously now with Will as well it's a completely as you say holistic yes.
1: approach Yes. I mean I was very lucky. I was brought up very near Alder Hay Hospital and Alder Hay is where I had the surgeries as a child. Yeah. Um, but I I do remember being very hospital phobic. So how on earth did I become okay. a doctor? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but but um but Alder Hay, I remember they're rebuilding obviously, but yeah. in the sixties it was Nightingale Wards. There was no okay. understanding of children's mental health or what they needed when they were in hospital. Oh. And it was pretty brutal, to be honest. Um, I, the One of the worst things I remember, and a lot of this stuff I hadn't actually thought about for years. I remember having something happen when I was about four, I think. Okay. And I had a large amount of um equipment sort of around my nose and mouth yeah and to stop me from fiddling with it they put my arms in gutter splints and bandaged my arms so if you can imagine i had my arms out at the side rigid unable to bend my elbows and they left me like that the whole time and i said and i said why are you doing this and they said we don't want you to touch and i said but if i say i won't touch i won't won't touch absolutely they didn't trust me Wow. And, and how old were you at that point? I think I was about four, but I do remember feeling I, quite, almost tortured, really.
0: Absolutely. I mean,
1: nowadays,
0: you couldn't imagine people doing that. No, I think no. when I was, um, when I'd had my soft palate done, and possibly even when I had my lip done, um, I had arm splints. But, you know, I was, I've got a picture of me in a stroller with my arms out wide, not being able to touch anything. But actually the idea of being laid out and not being able to touch anything you know any part of my face i think that would have affected me that's for
1: sure yes no i do remember that i also remember that that my parents i think tried hard to make going into hospital positive for me yeah. i do remember my mum would always buy me a little case and we'd get yeah. some stuff and some toiletries and all of that but she never quite explained that you're going in there to have an operation oh. and i remember going in and needing to go to the loo and while I was in the loo my parents were told to leave and not say goodbye now the 1960s you know not good for mental well-being of kids no and I remember coming out of the loo and saying where are my mum and dad and just being told they have gone and feeling quite abandoned and then I talked to a group of other children on the ward and I remember somebody said we'd be going to theatre and I thought great what are we going to see <laughs> <laughs> I honestly did not know I'd gone for an operation oh, I didn't know I
0: yeah, must have see, been that very
1: little. again oh. I must have been very little but I do remember my parish priest came in to see me and it's quite normal for priests and ministers to go to hospital to see people but nobody told me he was coming so imagine the mentality of a small child who sees somebody they know completely out of context yeah and I just remember he loomed up over me and I just burst into tears Aww. and then for a couple of years after that every time I saw him in mass every weekend I was really embarrassed because I knew I'd, I'd kind of you know, done the wrong thing oh. but nobody said to me he's going to come and see you and he's coming to see you because you're having an operation and that's fine but oh. i just somehow the connections weren't made no. i don't know i don't know whether people assume that you understand more than you do yeah or whether they just think we don't really need to talk or explain this
0: And and that might have been just the sign of the time that actually... I
1: I, I think it probably was. And I really hope that children... Well, I know they don't go through that now because things are very different in children's hospitals. And I've read quite a lot of, of... research on children's hospitals and nursing and what needs to happen to make children feel comfortable. Uh, I have I to say
0: the, the experience yeah. that I've had with Will um, has yeah. just been fantastic. I don't actually That's remember really much of my own um, yeah. but having gone through that experience with Will in the last sort of six months and two operations it's all you know it's geared around them to feel comfortable yes. to get them home as quickly as possible yes. and, and actually even as parents so informed um that you you don't it's very black and white you know it's light
1: years isn't it i mean i i was in hospital with my grandson who i'm bringing up Mm -hmm. and he was having minor surgery and i was able to stay and there was a bed in his room and all of those things and it it was very different i you know i stayed when my own children were in hospital yeah uh, things have moved on which is great absolutely I think
0: you know again sort of going back in the conversation that sort of um that found that home foundation of you know feeling like you have you know your parents love and you're you know you know that they're there and it's very comforting um I think that kind of shows now in today's sort of medical senses of you know making sure the parent is there for the child as well unlike you know our unfortunate sort of situation
1: No, I mean, I think I remember talking to my parents about that in later years and saying, why did you go? Yeah. But they were lower middle class people who if a doctor told you or a senior nurse told you that this is what you needed to do they did as they were told and they didn't question it see nowadays parents would say no my child needs me to say goodbye (laughs) and they would feel okay to assert themselves but in the 60s you just didn't you just did not what you were told you just didn't absolutely Um, i also remember but i remember i i think when i was probably about five or six i remember going into hospital and having uh, a bath in a bathroom where there were multiple baths okay. and no curtains at all, and other children having baths, I okay. feel terribly, terribly just this something's weird about this. Yeah, and, and the other thing I remember slightly amusingly is I remember that I'd never actually bathed myself up to that point, and mm. so I had. So, I was left to bath myself. Yeah. And I remember putting soap all over myself <laughs> and then not rinsing anything off. Oh, no. And not actually realizing that, you know, because, you know, my mum and dad used to bath us, you know. Yeah. And, but I just got left to do it myself. And I remember just learning that that's not what you do. Oh. Uh, the multiple baths in the bathroom was weird.
0: I th- again i think that's sort of old um yeah isn't it isn't it yeah just sort of old sort of hospital facilities so thankfully they have it's
1: improved good. quite a lot <laughs> i'm just going to plug you in because the battery is getting a bit low no I'm worries
0: that's As because well. I'm, I'm keeping you talking claire that's all um, <laughs> So tell me then just to sort of wrap up kind of our conversation um with your own personal experience but also possibly even your Work experience, what would you say to parents that have a child that has a cleft? How would you recommend or how, you know, how would you advise that they deal with things, you know, in any sort of situation, really?
1: I I wouldn't say I was an expert by any stretch and I would hesitate to give people advice. I can only talk from my own experience, but I do think, even from my experience with my son, treat your child as having boundless potential. Just treat your child as, you know, a child who is absolutely, you know, precious in every way and don't yeah. focus on the looks. Make sure that you address any issues they have about how they look and answer their questions honestly.
0: Yeah.
1: Don't give too much information, give what they want to know at that time, Yeah. but then make it clear that you're happy to talk about the same thing later on if they've got yeah. other questions okay. because as I said, I think I had different questions depending on my stage of development. Age.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: In a way, I mean, I am possibly more familiar with things like giving bad news or, or if there's some big issue in the family that needs talking about. And what I would always say is answer the direct questions, give as much information as they want, mm-hmm. but, the, but what they want will change as they age and develop. But yeah. don't give everything at once at the beginning and hope that they'll understand it because they may not be bothered about some of that stuff at all. Yeah. But find out what they are bothered about if they're bothered about something, you know. Yeah. It might be something really straightforward that you can help them with. Mm-hmm. And you may have all sorts of other baggage in your mind that you want to talk to them about. And they may only be bothered about something like the partial denture flying out or yeah. you know, it, it may be you know that that your agenda and the child's agenda are very different, and I would find out what the child's agenda is amazing and just you know ask the sort of questions about you know what do you see when you look in the mirror, and what is it if there's anything that bothers you, what would it be? Yeah, and um, you know, and and you know, don't I think I would say this to all parents, don't just praise little girls for looking pretty and little boys for achieving things. I mean. I thought we'd moved on in the world but I'm still seeing t-shirts that say things like cutie pie on them and the boys are explorers and the girls are princesses. No, they're not princesses. You know, they need to be engineers and dentists and nurses and doctors. They don't mm, need to be princesses. Or psychiatrists. Well, whatever <laughs> they want to be, they can be. But if we continue as a society to critique how girls look, mm-hmm. to comment on people's appearance, their weight, their hair, whatever it is, if we continue to do that, I think especially for girls with a cleft lip, that's going to be quite difficult. I would rather actually, if you meet a child, say, what are you really interested in? Yeah. What is it that you love doing? And then talk to them about that.
0: Absolutely.
1: Not, not, haven't you got a lovely dress on, or isn't your hair beautiful? But I'm afraid that is how people approach children, often about something, about physical.
0: Yeah, and you actually, know, you know, as a very quick sort of turnaround to that. As a child with a cleft, that might make them feel quite uncomfortable, whereas actually if you give them the tools, like you said, into singing, into reading, they can say, yeah. oh, well, I love... Roll doll, or create the conversation that's more positive and geared towards, you know, open conversation about something else.
1: Yes, and I would say reward behaviour, not looks. So Mm. if somebody's been very kind to a pet or another child to comment on how lovely that is because it's really important to be kind, yeah. not it's really important to have great hair, you know, it's yeah, just, and I, I'm not, I, I'm, I make, it makes me sound like maybe I, you know, don't give a damn about how I look, I, I do, <laughs> but it's just not number one on the priority list. And I think if children have parents that are narcissistic or disappointed in how they look, or, mm-hmm. you know, they, they thought that, that you ought to look, I remember a nun at school saying to me that they'd met my mother who looks quite Spanish, long yeah. since death. But look, your mother's so glamorous, Claire. I didn't realize that was your mother. She didn't look a bit like you. And you kind of think, oh, oh thanks very okay. much for that. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she was, you know, she was. Um, but I look more like my father, um, but you know, that, that sort of initial thing about looks is, is it's, it sort of stops you having the conversation about who that great person is in there, you know, um, and, and, you know, praising friendship skills and kindness and being brave and sticking at stuff, you know, not achieving necessarily, but trying really hard and knowing that they've tried those sorts of things. But that's just parenting, isn't it?
0: Uh, yeah it's all a learning curve as i'm currently finding out um but actually you know like you said encouraging the best out of that individual no matter what they're looking to achieve what they're hoping to do um and giving them you know basically giving them the world
1: yes and of course you have the advantage that you are there as a positive role model with a cleft Mm. so it's not as though there isn't anyone else that they can kind of look to no uh, you know i think i think it's it's great if somebody's showing you the way and actually saying look you know you can do this yeah it might be hard today children can be very mean to one another can't they Absolutely. Um, uh,
0: um,
1: but you know bull- bullying of any sort you know at school they should have a bullying policy shouldn't they and all of mm-hmm. that um, and I would hope they would deal with that properly these days in, in a way they never did in the past. Yeah. But having somebody who's a positive role model is really, really valuable, you know, really That's important. True.
0: And being a, a champion for their child in, in every yes.
1: Time. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think every parent who has a child with some sort of health need goes into warrior mode because that's just what we are, isn't it? You know, that's just what we do. Absolutely. Uh, But I think nowadays, at least health services recognise that, you know, you're not being difficult if you're asking for something for your child. It's their right and you'll battle to get it because you want them to uh, fulfil their potential. I think it's always all about, you know, fulfilling your potential whatever that potential is isn't it
0: absolutely well Claire thank you for talking to me and um, I do really appreciate it and um, I'm just gonna stop the conversation here
1: okay thanks very much.